Hello and welcome to the final episode of Stuck in the Middle Kingdom with you. I've been making this podcast now for a couple of years, almost exactly a couple of years in fact. I made it because I'd written this account of my time in Changshu, that first year teaching English in China, and I didn't know what to do with what I'd written. I could have self-published it on Amazon, no one would read that. I could have made a blog, but of course, no one would have read that. No one makes blogs anymore anyway, do they? Or of course, make a podcast. Well, no one would listen to that, but you know, that would be fun. And it has been. I'm not sure if the story has been easy to follow, because there's been quite a lot of names and there's no pictures to help out, and occasionally I drift off into history and other issues. That quite possibly makes it harder to keep the listener's attention. I don't know. But I like the history and the other stuff, so it is what it is. The aim of this podcast was to attempt to communicate something that I think many in the West don't know much about, i.e. what it's like to be an outsider in China, what the pitfalls are that can befall a naive young teacher, and what a strange bunch of people end up going to China for this expat adventure. Most of them, I'd be confident in guessing, have a better time than me. Or maybe I could say a less accident-prone time. But all will have some kind of Venn diagram which intersects somewhere with my story. Just think of the expat bars, or the preferential treatment that we get, the bribes, the suspicions that we feel, the hospital trips, hopefully not, the bemusement with the propaganda, the glitz of the big cities, and uh, the crumbling shacks in the countryside, the communication challenges with Chinese management. I can't imagine anyone escapes that. And the young, idealistic Chinese people who want to escape China's dog-eat-dog system. And the dating, of course. You know, every time you meet a Chinese family that is hosting you in some form or another, you get asked, about your marital status. It just happens every time. You can't get around it. And also your salary, often. But always your marital status. The love lives of the foreigners in China is very interesting to people there. Anyway, this podcast has also been about something else, and that's about how China has become the place it is today, and why we might consider China to be a rival, or a competitor, or a threat, and why, however we think of China, we cannot ignore it. We in the UK have a poor understanding of China, I would say. And I think that uh, you can tell this not just because of how we talk about China in the UK, but also because of how we talk about the UK. Mm, now hear me out. It's very quaint how we talk about the UK, for the most part. We seem to think we are a country that has a meaningful influence on global matters because we once ruled the waves. And if only we can fly enough flags then maybe we can roll it again. Sometimes seems to be the attitude. For me, one of the best ways to understand our place in the world is a crash course on China. It's huge, it's fast, it's high-tech, and yet it's still got people living in caves. It's deeply rooted in its history. It's dystopian, it's corrupting, and it's influencing governments and organizations around the world. We spend very little time thinking about that. Or how we live in a world alongside it. Anyway, let's get on with the final chapter. And for those who need a recap, 
Previously on Lost. No more sound bites from past episodes. The situation as it stands is this. After almost a year in a school in Changshu at the Cradle of Elites, I decided to renew my contract for another year. I wasn't entirely happy with the life at the school, but it could be worse than the manager, Jane, had convinced me to stay. I was offered more money and some other perks, and the promise that Dodie wouldn't be the boss of us foreign teachers. I had a feeling that I wouldn't like him being in charge of me, and this feeling was proved correct because I discovered that he exploited rumours and gossip to create leverage with the management, gaining their trust, and elevating himself into the position of boss of the foreign teachers. Jane directly lied to me about that, and then decided to scarper off to a different school, relieving herself from any responsibility. But by then, I'd signed the contract. The school's year-end meant a final show in the auditorium. Just as with other big shows that got put on there, there were songs, instruments, and well-choreographed tea ceremonies. Students and teachers alike pledged allegiance to the school and the Middle Kingdom, and Arizona man couldn't resist the limelight, delighting the crowd with a Beatles medley. But apart from the man, the old guard stayed in the audience. I wasn't the only one soured by Dodie and Jane's shenanigans. It was only the new teacher that partook in the festivities. The two Amys did a dance, and Dodie teamed up with Abe and two female Chinese teachers to do some Chinese version of ABBA. Mark, Penny, Kelly, Cheryl, Jess and I just sat there. Even Phil didn't go up. It was strange how, after all our internal bickering, we all sat side by side at this final stage, watching as a new threat dawned. It reminded me of the end of the Mel Gibson movie Apocalypto when the indigenous warriors give up chasing that guy after seeing the conquistadors pulling up on the beach. Yes, your troubles are only just beginning. As usual, the Chinese on stage shone out over and above the Lao Wai. And just like at the Christmas show that I missed by having pneumonia, the students and the teachers had practiced and practiced their parts. We had poetry recital, all with this Exaggerated enunciation, which is the way poetry is done here. And students playing the gu zheng, which is like a harp on a table, plucked in an exaggerated way. Everyone wearing traditional dress. The teacher saxophonists playing simultaneously. Five drummers and four pianists playing simultaneously. Yes, this was serious stuff. All with pyrotechnics and traditional scenery projected onto the back wall. Even the cleaners and the women who look after the kids had their moment in the limelight. A few of them had a video montage of their life story up to now, when they actually became a cleaner at the Cradle of Elites. And of course, plenty of allegiances being pledged to the flag and to the school. There's always room for one more pledge. We were all invited up to the stage to receive a token achievement award and Jane warned me to not be too visibly angry while on stage. Evidently, the gloves were pretty much off by this time, and she'd managed to pick up on a certain lack of satisfaction that I'd held after my betrayal. You'd have to ask someone in the audience as to whether I did what Jane asked, but most of the audience were not paying attention anyway. Either way, I knew that I harboured enough resentment by that point that staying another year simply wasn't going to work. At the end of the show... The presenter said, Let's remember this beautiful moment. Remember the fourth instrumentalist performance. Remember and try to make our art dreams come true. 
But I had another dream that I wanted to come true. A final split with the school and a better life in another city. The plan that I quietly hatched in the final days of the school ended up being this. Having signed up for another year, I would take my flight back to the UK, enjoy the summer and return as planned. That gave me a free return plane ticket and a financial bonus, a summertime payment, which I'd receive once I got back. Then, citing Jane's lying, her deceit, her manipulation, I'd hand in my notice, do whatever few weeks they required, and scoot off to Shanghai and live with Jess. It was another devilish scheme that was bound to go wrong. So it did. The summer break involved a spirited walk across northern England, which went brilliantly, followed by a journey back to Shanghai overland, starting in London St Pancras International, going through Europe, and, by way of the Trans-Siberian Railway, right through Mongolia, down into Beijing, and back to Shanghai. I then took a ferry to Japan to top off the trip. It won't surprise you to learn that this little adventure was riddled, riddled, I tell you, with problems. Almost everything went wrong, but that's another podcast. All that matters for this story is that by the start of the next term, early September, I was back in the school, back in my room, overlooking the running track, wondering if my apartment had been bugged. But I wasn't going to be here long. Not this time, boys and girls. And so back to class. And now that the stage was set for the finale, I knew the hardest part would be leaving the kids. This was hard enough to do when we split for the summer break, but doubly hard once I got back and had to do it forever. After a year of knowing those little monsters, I really felt part of their family. I knew what made each of them tick, what their insecurities were, where their strengths could be harnessed and their weaknesses improved. I can honestly say I liked them all. And of course, teachers always say this, they don't usually mean it. I knew that when the time comes, there'll be tears in that classroom. And not just from me. But there was also fury. Yes, I was furious that they had told Dodie the details of my contract, that Dodie had used his sneaky manoeuvring to gain the management's trust and get himself an undeserved promotion, that Jane had promised that this wouldn't happen and promised she'd stay in the school and keep an eye on things, and that she'd done a runner. Yeah, I was furious and I let it be known. Once I collected my summertime cash. Yeah, right then I let the moral outrage rip at Abe. Jane and Shin weren't around by then, and although I was pretty sure that Abe quite possibly had no involvement in this shit show, there was no one else around then, so he would have to do. Clutching my bag of cash, I told him straight. Told him exactly what I thought, that's right. Still reeling on adrenaline when I got back to class, the poor kids must have known that something was up, because in all our months together, they were never such angels as they were during that next half an hour. I was a pretty good teacher in many ways, even I would admit that. But I won't pretend I was always 100% professional. At least I never threw books at the kids like Eddie did. Anyway, I was incredibly stern during that lesson, when each kid must have intuitively known that Teacher Adam was ready to crack. No one wanted to be on the end of that. Jason didn't fall off his chair even once. Jane's replacement was another Jane called... Well, let's call her Margaret. She came up with the same old tribe that the old Jane had come up with, about team spirit and cooperation, always looking for ways to snuff out whatever sense of individuality we might have and turn us into an undifferentiated mass of goop from which English phrases could be extracted at will. 
Yes, I saw the game they were playing. So it clear as day. But if you consider the smog around here, that's not incredibly clear. Margaret enforced the rule of remaining in class all day, even when there were no classes to teach. I mean, this was an extreme downer, as my schedule had a whole afternoon free on Wednesdays when I could bop off on my bike somewhere. Again, this was something that Jane said wouldn't change. Another hollow promise. With Dodie by the side of Margaret, constantly coming up with little initiatives to keep himself relevant, a group climb of Yushan Mountain, a day when everyone swapped classes with someone else, dance-offs, charity fundraising, all aimed at team-building or photo opportunities. Yeah, I could see that we were in for another year of relentless strife. Now, for some people, these kind of events are just part of a normal life in an international school, especially in China. You become part of the family. You're expected to make yourself available for all sorts of things beyond teaching. School trips and performances and things designed for advertising the school. I get that. It's not uncommon that English teachers are confronted by themselves on adverts in the city, selling their school, like on a bus or a billboard or something. They're rarely asked if they're happy with that. You know, if the school management had been a bit more assertive from the start, that's how things would have been at the cradle from the start. But for me, and for pretty much the entire team which joined at the same year the year previous, we wanted to teach, improve the English language abilities of the students, do the occasional test and head off to the pub when the end of day bell goes. And most ESL teachers in China are like that. It doesn't mean they're all bad people or bad teachers. It's just that they brought their Western selves to China and they'd fit in better if they brought their Chinese selves, which is of course impossible. Chinese stuff, they know that when they join a company, their whole life pretty much belongs to that company. Westerners just aren't having that. It took a little while to get my ducks in a row. I sought out a new job in Shanghai, quietly going about interviews on video calls from my room, wondering every time about who might be listening. If they had bugged me, they didn't let it on, and I kept stum about leaving until one of the schools made an offer, which didn't take long because ESL schools in China never don't make an offer. I would be teaching adults in the centre of Shanghai. All I had to do was get there. Now, the school has a strategy for smoothing over the emotional challenge of a departing teacher, and that's to lie to the students and their parents about it. In the morning, I told Margaret I was handing in my notice, and by the afternoon, my co-teacher, Qian, was telling me that she was sad about it. I'd be there two more months, and then that was that. I emailed ex-manager Jane to request that she explain to the new manager that she'd stitched me up and they should be understanding about my wish to leave. But strangely enough, I didn't get a reply. Instead, the chilly atmosphere intensified. I was told not to mention to my students that I was leaving. One Monday, I just wouldn't be there anymore. That was the plan. Teacher Adam? Never heard of him. No, that one had to go back to his country, they'd tell them. But he'll get a new teacher, a nicer teacher. Teacher Adam hated you anyway. Well, that meant that there was one more chance for me to be an insubordinate bastard. And so on that final Friday afternoon, in a completely ordinary teacher's choice class, as far as the students were concerned, with my heart pumping with grim anticipation, I looked over the room towards co-teacher Chen one last time and made my announcement. Now listen, everybody. Tony, quiet. Sit like a tree. I have to tell you something.
Chen's sympathetic eyes switched to alarm as she computed, as someone who didn't speak English, what I was probably saying. In dumbed-down English, with a map of China scribbled on the blackboard and a stick man, Teacher Adam, moving across a dotted line from Changshu to Shanghai, I told him I was off. A whole room of students were using what little English they'd learned over that year to piece together the facts, and with a little translation from Emma, star pupil, the secret was out. It could have all been a bit less traumatic if we'd given the kids a few weeks to get used to the idea, but no. It was time to rip off the plaster. Just like on my first day here, there were tears. But where those early day tears were from children who were simply scared to see a ginger beard for the first time in their lives, today they were tears of sadness. An era was coming to an end. With the cat out of the bag, the teachers had no choice but to let me give similarly gut-wrenching announcements to the other classes I taught. International Class 2 Grade 1 and the All-Girl Art Class. And so we are at an end. There are some topics that I would have liked to have covered on this podcast, but I just didn't find a place to shoehorn them into the story structure. These topics include more about Qin Shi Huan, the founder of China's first unified empire, and the one who built the Terracotta army. Also, the pros and cons of China's one-child policy and what the legacy of that means for the future, and tongue poetry. Chinese porcelain, Chinese tea, China's recognised and unrecognised ethnic minorities, the contributions that Chinese migrants have made to countries around the world, and a deeper look into the political structures in Beijing, which are murky and I don't feel I have any great understanding of. And I can't help feeling that over the course of this story I've been a bit negative, not just about the school, but the whole history and culture side too. And everyone's a bit negative about China these days and Here's Adam laying it on too. I mean, don't you have anything nice to say? China is a proud and deep culture with so much going on. The most impressive pull out of poverty in all of history. Incredible culture and food and pandas and dynamic lives that are lived. And here you are banging on about wars and famines. Executions, persecutions, electrocutions. Well, maybe not electrocutions, I don't think. But lots of other cutions which are generally unpleasant and don't always paint the place in the best light, despite all of its achievements and wonders. Well, this has bugged me too, and I think there are two genuine answers as to why I've leaned a little bit more on the negative side. Uh, one is that this isn't a travel brochure. There's plenty of amazing coverage of the misty mountains of Yunnan, and the pandas of Sichuan and the Great Wall up north. I wasn't often in those places, and, you know, they didn't impress themselves upon me so much. I did travel, and I wrote about the places I went, but I didn't go that far and wide, and so I took a different angle, the history and the culture. And it's history and culture which is important for China's place in the modern world, and that affects us all. China really is an incredibly powerful and important place, and I wanted to spend some time going over its journey, mostly its modern journey. Fair enough, you might say, but why focus so much more on the nasty stuff than the inspirational stuff? No mention of the Beijing Olympics, huh? Well, maybe that's just me. I'm drawn to the darkness the bleak accounts of suffering and death, the injustices and epic wrongs that can wound a country, and also the resolve that people have to overcome those tribulations. Yes, my own year at this school in China was a bit of a rude awakening, with a few struggles and frustrations, but it doesn't really add up to anything on the whole. I just have a magnetic attraction to petty difficulties, 
which plague me like mozzies in the forest, harmless but interminable, and sometimes harmful. So there you go. It's a bit negative, stuck in the middle kingdom with you, because those things are important. And also, hey, I'm a bit negative. But Jess is positive, and she also couldn't take more than a year at the cradle of Elise, so there. Jess moved to Shanghai as planned, and a couple of months later I was there too. It didn't go smoothly. For a start, once you get a new job in China, you need a release letter from your previous job. And it won't surprise you to learn that when I was done with the cradle, they were not feeling particularly cooperative. So this important document was not forthcoming. They also took the bonus money that I'd earned during that summer out of my pay packets that I got once I got back, making the whole experience quite costly in the end. Eventually, though, I got set up in Shanghai with my own flat, a job teaching English to adults, and a girlfriend, and not some married biology teacher or something like that. And when Jess went home to get a real job, I stuck around for a few more years, leapfrogging over a whole range of other calamities that came my way. Shanghai, where I lived for the rest of my time in China, is a blaze of ultra-modern chic and cool, interspersed with poor migrants, gratuitous consumerism, people who steal my bikes. I had other jobs and other problems and other adventures, but my favourite tale is still from the Cradle of Elites, and I'm especially thankful to the small band of listeners that I've had who've listened along to this disjointed tale, and those of you who got in touch to say hi. That made my day. And it was especially nice to hear once again from long-time listener and friend of the show, Mark. He made a short appearance at the start of an episode called Random Impulse. He left another voice note. Hi Adam, just wanted to congratulate you on finishing your podcast. I've uh, listened since the beginning all the way from Australia, which is pretty amazing if you think about it, because we're so far away. Anyway, it occurred to me that you've been podcasting about life in that school even longer than you actually spent living in the school. It's just a little bit weird, right? I mean, could you have got it wrapped up in a short 10 episode series? Like in uh, Serial, for example. Now that was a show. That's how you make a podcast, mate. Suffice to say, I'm glad it's over. See you at the beach, mate. Okay, thanks, Mark, for the advice. This is Teacher Adam signing off, and I'll leave you with a final thought, some advice I would give to my younger self. As the Chinese say, or take things as they come. Just let it be.